0: Our next scripture reading is going to come from the book of Deuteronomy, and it may sound familiar to you. reading Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through verse 21. Moses convened all of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances that I am addressing to you today. You shall learn them and observe them diligently. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb, not only with our ancestors, not only with our ancestors did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of fire. At that time, I was standing between the Lord and you to declare your words to the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in the heaven above, that is on the earth beneath, or that is under the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, or your son or daughter, or your male or female slave, your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the resident alien in your towns, that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. The Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm. And therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you. That your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land that your Lord, the Lord your God, is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Neither shall you bear, bear false witness against your neighbor. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife. Neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Before we get into the sermon, real quick, I wanted to kind of answer a question someone asked me earlier. And the question they asked me was, Andy, um, what translation of Scripture should I use as you are walking us through these books of the Bible? And that, that's a great question. I want to walk you real quick through the translation that I use, as well as then just a real quick synopsis of how translations of the Bible work. The translation of the Bible that I will be using uh, in this series, and use every Sunday, is the New Revised Standard Version, or N S RV. And I'll tell you why I use that translation. Every church I've ever served at, my desire has been to preach from the bo- translation of the Bible. That is the most commonly used translation in that church. And here at St. Matthew's, that's the NRSV. And I'll tell you how I determine what the most commonly used translation is. What's the Pew Bible? Whatever the pew Bible of that church is, is the Bible translation that I preach from. So here at St. Matthew's, I do NRSV. My last church didn't have pews, so I've used a lot of different versions. New Living, ESV. I've used the NIV. That was One of my churches had NIV as their pew Bible. And other churches had NRSV. So I've used whatever is the pew Bible of the church as the text that I preach from, because I find that's usually the most commonly used translation of the Bible. Let me explain to you real quick. How translations work. Um, The the uh, any translation that has the word new in the title is going to be a translation that's going to go back to the original Greek and Hebrew versions uh, uh, scripture text. Let me tell you how we got the Bible. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek, and that was what it was. It was Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek. And around the 5th fifth fifth century or so, they took the original Greek and Hebrew, that were the Old and New Testament, and they combined that into one text called the, the Greek Septuagint. So the Septuagint was a combination of the Old and New Testament in Greek, which was the common language in that part of the world. That Greek translation of, this, of the Bible, that was the Septuagint, that was translated eventually into the Latin, Latin Vulgate which was the main scripture translation used for the Roman Catholic Church for most of its life. Eventually, that Latin Vulgate was translated into the English as the King James Version. So the King James is an English translation, uh, which the King James was the first authorized English Bible. The King James was an English translation of the Latin Vulgate, which was the Latin translation of the Greek Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the original Greek and Hebrew. So, that's where the King James came from. Any of your translations that have new in the title, New Revised Standard, New International, New Living Translation, any of the the New King James, these would be text Bible translations that go not to the Latin Vulgate, but go back to the actual original Greek and Hebrew passages. So, your new versions of the Bible go back to the original Greek and Hebrew text. So that's the the versions that most churches use are those. Um, In the Bible, uh, we're talking about Bible translations. Two things to understand. First is the difference between, uh, well, let me give you these terms. An autograph would have been the original letter. So Paul's actual letter to Corinth would have been called an autograph, a manuscript was a copy of that original letter. We have zero autograph. Like We don't have any of the original letters or works. The manuscripts, the copies of those, we have over 50,000 manuscripts of Scripture. 50,000. You know how many manuscripts of Socrates we have? Six. Let's take the whole Jesus thing out of it and the whole faith thing out of it. There's no book of antiquity of that time period, that is more verified, authoritative, or thoroughly understood and researched than Scripture. Let's take faith out of it. Scripture is the most well-documented and verified text of that time period, bar none. How many of y'all stay up late at night wondering, did Socrates really exist or were his words actually historically recorded? I'm going to guess zero of you. We have six of his, over 50,000 of Scripture. There's no book with that validity to it from that time period than the Holy Bible. So, your new translations, NRSV, NIV, ESV, go to those manuscripts and translate from there. Translation is an art, not a science. I'll tell you what I mean by that. There are two ways, neither one of them right or wrong, it's just two different philosophies, to translate scripture from the Greek and Hebrew. One is a thought for thought translation, one is a word for word translation. Neither is right or wrong. They're just... They, your scripture your scripture translations that read very smoothly, your NIV, your New Living, translations like that, they translate phrase for phrase. Scriptures that are more choppy when you read them, New Revised Standard, ESV. They translate word for word. Let me tell you what the difference is. Let's look at the phrase, the love of God. Does the phrase, the love of God, mean... God's love for me, the love of God? Or does the phrase, the love of God, mean my love for God? Well, yes, it means it can mean both, doesn't it? The way you understand it is you understand it in context. Your more smooth translations like new NIV or, in, in, or New Living, they translate the intent of the passage. They do that work for you. The NRSV translates exactly word for word, so it's going to be a little bit choppier, a little bit bumpier. Not quite as smooth, but it's going to go with that translation. I prefer the NRSV because to me, in my head is the King James. Like if I'm going to quote the Bible off the top of my head, the King James is going to come out of my brain because I don't have room for anything new up here. And I learned the King James as a kid, so that's what's up here. And I just like my Bible to sound like the King James because that's what I'm used to. Not saying it's right or wrong, that's just me. So the NRSV to me reads more like that. So long story short, you can trust any of the modern translations or the King James. You can trust any of them. Read the translation that best suits you. Whatever you feel comfortable with, whatever you like, whatever feels good to you, I would say use that translation because there isn't really a, a difference in that. Just use the one that feels the most comfortable to you. If you ever want to try translation of the Bible, come to me. I got a copy of it. I promise you. I collect Bibles. Um, you can take it for a test drive. I'll let you borrow it. You know, feel free to I can let you borrow any translation you want to use or if you've got an iPad or a smartphone, download U version of the Bible and they have every translation on that app and you can read it that way. So I and I actually I like a diversity of scripture translations. I'm in a Friday morning Bible study and we have Uh, several of us in that group, and usually we have different translations around the table, and it's kind of cool to see how the different translations translate stuff because it gives you a fuller picture. But just because one translation translates it this way and another translates it that way doesn't mean that either translation is wrong. It's just a choice they made and how they translated it versus the language they were trying to use. Like the New Living Translation is intentionally trying to translate into a modern language, into English... The NRSV is trying to be the language of that time. The New Living is trying to translate it into the language we speak today. So neither is right or wrong. It's just choices they made. So I would encourage you to read a variety of translations to get a full picture of God's word. Okay, my goal for this sermon is for you to like Leviticus when we're done. That's my goal. Is when we get done with this sermon, is for you to say, "Man, Leviticus is awesome." Because Leviticus, Leviticus gets picked on, y'all. I picked on Leviticus my entire ministry. Because you know how it is. You're gonna you're gonna New Year's resolution, I'm gonna read through all the Bible this year. And you start off, and Genesis is awesome. Man, Genesis is great. It's all the stories you know. Noah, Jacob wrestling with God, good stuff. You love Genesis, it's great. Then you get into Exodus. Exodus is pretty fun. You know, you got the you got the the plagues and the Red Sea and that's good stuff. Then you hit chapter twenty. You're like, ooh, okay. You get into the law. Ten Commandments is pretty good. You're good with the Ten Commandments. Then you kept reading. You're like, I, I don't care how they have to farm. I don't care. I don't care how they make their fabrics. It does not matter to me. I do not care. I don't care what they've got to sacrifice. I don't understand any of this. But you bow up and you get through Exodus. And you find Leviticus. You know what you find in Leviticus? More law. And the more you read it, the less you like it. And by halfway through Leviticus, you're like, I'm done. I'm going to Matthew. I'm tired of this. So Leviticus has messed up many I read through the Bible in a year plan. Leviticus is part of the law. These books were today, you know, we're doing the shelves of Scripture these next few weeks. Today we're doing the shelf that's called the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. These books are called the books of Moses. They're sometimes called the Torah. Torah is Hebrew for teaching. It typically refers to these five books, but it can refer to the entire Old Testament, or the Pentateuch. Pentateuch means the five books. These books are the foundation of everything that is to come in Scripture. These, these, these books form the foundation of all that is to come throughout the rest of the Bible. Genesis tells us the story of the covenant community. God calling Abraham. We see in Genesis that God's a God of covenant and that God is always making covenant with his people. A covenant is a relational contract. God is the God of all of creation, yet he desires to be in relationship with us. And he comes to us with covenant. A covenant is an agreement. And God always makes agreement with us. And the covenant always says, if you do this, I'll do this. And so God, over and over, is making covenant with his people and sealing the covenant with a a sign. Covenants always have signs. Agreements always have signs. So we see with Noah, he makes a covenant. I will not flood the earth again. In the covenant, he makes a sign of the covenant. And that sign of the covenant is what? Rainbow. With Abraham, he calls him. It says, through you, all the people be, of the world will be blessed. And I will make your offspring prosperous. You will have this land. He makes a covenant with Abraham. And what's the sign of the covenant with Abraham? Circumcision. Circumcision. He makes a covenant with all of Israel through the law. And there are many signs of that covenant, but primary among the signs of the covenant of the Levitical system and of the law are the Ten Commandments. We're going to unpack that in a second. He makes a covenant with David. There will always be one of his descendants upon the throne, and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment fulfillment of that. For us as Christians, we live in a new covenant, a new covenant of grace. And that new covenant of grace is marked by the sign of the new covenant. Do you know what the sign of the new covenant is? You just saw it a few minutes ago. Baptism. Baptism is the sign of the new covenant. Just baptism for us as Christians, what circumcision was for the old covenant. It is a marking of the covenant community. That's why we baptize infants. Because just as infants were circumcised on the eighth day to show they were part of the covenant community, so they were born into the community, We baptize infants to show they are born into our community. And that just as the Jewish community shaped them, we too will shape our children. Now, did every circumcised child in the Old Testament follow God? Have you read the Old Testament? (laughs) No! They had to make a choice to accept that circumcision at their bar mitzvah. Likewise, every baptized child must choose for themselves whether they will follow Christ or not at their confirmation. Every covenant has a sign. So we see in Genesis that God's a God of covenant calling his people, always calling his people. It's interesting, I was reading this week in Genesis, Genesis 11, he scatters the people for their sin at Babel. Genesis 12, he says, Abraham, through you all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. All the peoples of the earth. Those folks I just scattered about, I'm going to start calling them back to myself through you and through your people. The covenant community, that is Israel, the covenant community. We see in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the foundation. We see what shapes this covenant community. What shapes the covenant community is the law. The law is what shapes this community. Every community is shaped by something. The law is what shapes the covenant community of the Jewish people. This shapes them. So we see that throughout the law. Exodus, the law is given. Exodus and Leviticus, the law is given. Numbers, a sentence is taken because they're fixing to take the promised land. The spies are sent over. And they say, oh no, we can't. There's too many of them. In Numbers, they refuse to walk in faith and God punishes them. He says, the first generation that got the law, that left Egypt, you will not inherit the promised land. But the promised land will go to your children. So, Exodus and Leviticus is the law given to the parents. Deuteronomy is the law given to their children. Deuteronomy means second giving. That's why there's two Ten Commandments. Exodus is given to the parents. Deuteronomy is given to the children because now God is making a covenant with the children. It isn't just good enough that the parents accepted the covenant, but now the children must accept the covenant. That's true for us as well. As I heard an old preacher say, God don't have grandchildren. God only has children. The faith of the parents will shape the children, but every but no, you don't get into heaven on somebody's coattails. Everyone must accept Jesus for themselves. That's why we have two commandments to show that to us. One's for the parents, Exodus Leviticus. One's for the children, Deuteronomy. Everyone must accept Jesus for themselves. So. The law is given to shape the covenant community that is called in Genesis. So, what is, the, what is the purpose of this covenant community? Why does God call Abraham? We see it in his calling in Genesis 12. He says, I will give you this land. You will have descendants. And through you, all the people of earth will be blessed. What does that mean? Through the descendant of Abraham, all the world will be blessed. Who is that descendant? Jesus. Jesus. The law was given to shape the covenant people of Israel through whom Jesus would come. The law was given to mark these people as peculiar and different and shape them. And one day, this peculiar and different people would be the people through whom the Messiah of the world would come and that all the world would be redeemed who believe in him. The covenant was given to shape them, and it shaped them, and Jesus came from them. To understand Jesus, you must understand the law and the covenant because it is the law and the covenant that shaped Israel through whom Christ was born. That's why there are two types of law. Because remember, the point of the law, the point of the law is to shape Israel to be the people who will bless the world through Jesus. So thus we see there are two types of laws there. We see the ceremonial law. That's the washing of hands, the purity rituals. That is the the, 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 the food codes. We see that once Christ is born and once Christ has come, the purity code, the ceremonial laws, those laws are done away with. We see that in Acts chapter 10 when Peter has a dream and a blanket descends from heaven and the Lord, there's all these foods all these animals on the blanket that are unclean according to the purity laws and God tells Peter rise, kill and eat. And Peter says I can't Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean, how can I eat this? The Lord says never call unclean that which I have made clean. Once Christ has come The ceremonial law has been fulfilled completely, and there's no longer a reason to keep it. Thus, we Gentiles are welcomed in because Christ has fulfilled that purpose. Remember, the purpose of the law is to form the community through whom Christ would come. Once Christ has come, those ceremonial parts are done away with. But that's not all the law. The other part of the law is the moral law. Our ethics, our sexual ethics, our... Our uh, how, how, how we love each other, how we care for each other. The moral law, the moral law remains. Because Jesus tells them, he says, what, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus says this, on this hinges the law and the prophets. So in other words, all the Old Testament, those law and teachings, they are, they are seen completely in love of God, love of neighbor. And when he quotes love of God, love of neighbor, you know what he's doing? He's quoting the Old Testament. Those are direct quotations from the law. Jesus is showing us that, yes, the ceremonial law goes away when he is fulfilled. But the moral law, it remains. And the moral law, I love how the Bible can be distilled. The moral law, ultimately, all along the Old Testament, can be distilled to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments explain to us how to live out the moral law. The Ten Commandments can be distilled down to loving God and loving neighbor, which Jesus said is the great commandment. So if you love your God, you're going to honor him and keep him holy. If you love your God, you're going to keep the Sabbath day. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to murder your neighbor or lie to your neighbor or steal from your neighbor. The law was always being distilled down to something we can understand. All the law, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, love of God, love your neighbor. So we see these laws had this purpose. To form the covenant community, the people through whom Christ will come. And we see, this is, and this, is how you, this is why I want you to know Leviticus is awesome. Because Leviticus and the law tell us two things matter to the people of God primarily, particularly Leviticus. First, over and over and over again, the people are instructed on how to worship. Here are your festivals. Here are your festivals. Here's when you come to the temple to worship. Here's what you do. Here's what you sacrifice. Here's what you must wear. Here are all the details. Of how worship should take place. Now, we may not care in our context about if the robes, if the priest had to wear linen robes or not. That might not make a sense, make a bit of sense to us. But it's important because it tells us that worship matters. It matters so much that God gave detailed instructions on worship. We, as a covenant community, which is what we are, are we not? Are we not baptized? Are we not marked by the covenant? We, as a covenant community, have the same impetus to us today. We are called to be a worshiping community. Worship matters to God. We see it over and over in Leviticus. Worship matters. This community matters. Worshiping in this community matters. Now listen, I'm not saying we've got to be in church every Sunday. I'm not saying we've got to, you know, do all that. But here's what I am saying. I mean this sincerely, y'all. If you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ... And there's not something inside of you that wants to worship our God in some way, shape, or form. You need to check your heart. If there's not something inside of you that desires to worship God, you need to check your heart. Because that is part of what the community exists for, is to worship. Leviticus, Exodus are clear. The covenant community is here to worship. That's part of the formation of what the covenant community looks like, to worship. Over and over and over again, we're called to worship. And we see Paul say later in his letters, do not uh, worship with songs, hymns, spiritual songs. We see the writer of Hebrews say, do not forsake the gathering together the brethren. This covenant community is called to worship. Leviticus teaches that. And likewise, Leviticus teaches us one other thing that's really important, and that's to be holy. To be holy is to be set apart and to be different. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, God says, do this for I am holy. Do this for I am holy. The people of God are called to be different or holy. The reason why God gives them instructions on how to plant their crops is because their neighbors are planting their crops this way, so they're going to plant their crops this way. Their neighbors wear these fabrics, so you're going to wear these fabrics. Every law in the Old Testament is there to mark them as distinct and different from their neighbors, distinct and different from their culture. That's what it means to be holy, is to be set apart, to be different. As a covenant community, we too are called to be holy. We too are called to be different. We too are called to not operate by the same standards as our world. We are called to be shaped by the word and to be set apart and different Are holy. As I tell folks, if you tell folks you're a Christian, they go, really? It's not a good sign. You shouldn't have to tell folks you're a Christian. Your lifestyle should be so different that people know there's something wrong with you. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give a defense for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. Our lives should be so different that folks come up to us and say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with us is Jesus. Jesus is what's wrong with us. That's why we live like we live. Why we give like we give. Why we serve like we serve. Why we love like we love. Because Jesus has made a difference in our life. When we have been formed as a covenant community, that matters. Leviticus teaches us that the covenant community that we are, are called to worship and called to be holy. You know, I'll say in our world today, there's probably no two more more important things that the church is called to do than those two things. Just as Israel was a covenant community that God reached out to, so are we as the church. We have that same call. The law was given to shape them. The entire law can be distilled down to the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments can be distilled down down to love of God, love of neighbor. When the love of God is shed abroad in our heart, it drives out sin, darkness, and wickedness. When God's love is shed in our heart, it changes us. We're called to be different. Y'all, there might not be a more important book for us to understand than Leviticus, even if it doesn't always make sense to us. The big picture that it teaches us is the big picture that we need today. We are a holy covenant community called to be shaped by the law and the word And called to live out his life through our worship, through our holiness. Love of God, love of neighbor. Jesus said, on this hinges the law and the prophets. So, if we want to understand Jesus, we need to understand the law. If we want to understand the gospel, we need to understand the covenant community. If we want to understand all the Bible, we have to start, we have to understand the books of Moses, which call always calls the people of God to be a covenant community shaped by his covenant. We see it in the Ten Commandments, we see it in the law. This is the foundation of all of all the scripture, the foundation of all of our lives. I'm not a builder. Thank the good Lord, I'd be a terrible builder. Don't know much about building houses, but I do know this. Without a foundation, the house crumbles. For all the scripture starts in Genesis, starts with these books of Moses. They may be a little bit difficult to understand, a little bit hard to understand, but they teach us to be different, to be in covenant, and to worship. And if we can live out those virtues and those values, we're living out the heart of the books of Moses. And honestly, y'all, living out the heart of scripture. May these books be our foundation for all that is to come in the coming days. Let's pray.